Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 9th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, guys, it's Friday. <laughs> Hooray. It sure is. <laughs> You've been waiting for this week to be over, Chris. It's been a very long. I mean, I feel like I say this every week. Where every every week by the time Wednesday rolls around, I'm like, oh my god, how is this week not over? But this week has felt extra long. Yeah, and it's been weird. We've had like these days of like no news, and then you know a lot of news at once. That was what happened yesterday. Uh, we didn't really have much news before we recorded, but after we recorded the podcast, Disney had their investors uh, meeting and announced a bunch of stuff. So we're going to start with that, uh, all of which Ben covered for the site. Uh, let's start with um, the Disney streaming service, which we thought was going to be called Disney Play, but actually has a different name. What do we know, Ben? 
Yeah, it's now called Disney Plus. So the word Disney with the plus sign after it. Uh, CEO Bob Iger was on that uh, investment earnings call yesterday and uh, revealed the official name. And the interesting thing about this is that instead of how Netflix does a streaming service uh, layout where everything is in a single grid, Disney Plus is going to do things a little bit differently. They have a bunch of different brands. So like Star Wars, uh, Marvel, Pixar, traditional Disney stuff, and National Geographic. And all of those are going to be, um, <clears throat> I guess, split up on this uh, streaming service. So they're all going to have their own individual user interfaces for those specific brands. So, um, Peter, I thought you, you yesterday when we found out about this, you made a, a an astute observation about how that fits in well with the <laughs> Disney brand overall. Yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, Netflix is kind of this boring black, uh, you know, grid of shows. And uh, this sounds to me more like a world that is split up into its own themed lands, kind of like uh, how Disney has done with, uh, you know, their popular theme parks. Um, I don't know. That that kind of sounds uh, exciting to me because, you know, when I'm going to watch, you know, so, something that's Marvel, a mo movie, a TV show, like, you know, th that interface will be more designed around that experience. Um, but I also could see the other side of things. Maybe might like one friend I was talking to you said that it kind of like just reminded him of like, old flash websites and how that was kind of a horrible experience. Mm. Uh, so I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Like, like it's this, uh, it's a good thing or it's a bad thing. Ben. Uh, Chris, what do you, Oh, uh, I, I mean, for me, I just, I feel like this is a way better name than Disney play because Disney plus is like, you know, Disney play sounds like uh, a failed uh, virtual reality theme park that Disney set up or something <laughs> in the 90s. You know, it just had like this name, like that's what we're going to call this thing, really. But Disney Plus sort of goes back into their naming convention that they set up with ESPN Plus, which they own. And that's a like a streaming subscription service specifically for sports stuff for ESPN. So it makes sense for them to call this Disney Plus. I mean, I think, yes, Peter, it is, it is cool that each of the... Uh, silos or whatever the the brand silos that they're going to be calling these things are going to have their own individual outlook i don't really know i mean it doesn't change the content any so i guess yeah. it's just like one little nifty design element that uh, that separates it from its competition but um chris what do you think I mean, it's not the worst idea. FX is app whatever it's called FX now or something has something like this where it has like the Simpsons channel and stuff like so. So I guess it's going to look like that. Is that what they're saying? I, I can't really. Picture I guess it. so. Um, like they haven't really given like a full indication. It was kind of like one off the hand comment that was made. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of I, I like that Disney is approaching this as not, you know, Netflix, but Disney. And they're trying to figure out, like, how do we make it? you know, the Disney version of what this service could be. And, you know, I think going towards the, the, their theme parks and how that's set up kind of like, you know, they're, they're instilling it in their, you know, I love Disney. So I know that sounds like, you know, fanboy, like uh, saying how great it is, but uh, I, I kind of, I kind of like that they are making it their own and it isn't just going to be, you know, this boring grid. And I, I hope to God that, um, you know, when they come out with new programming, it'll be easier to find than that horrible Netflix interface. 
Yeah, I mean, this definitely sounds easier to navigate. You know, I I don't I'm by no means a Netflix hater, but they're really bad at just advertising their stuff. It's hard to find their stuff and they have so much of it. So this sounds like a good way of getting around that. Yeah, and, and Netflix has so much stuff and they don't really have you know, the buckets to put them in or the folders to put them in. Like, it's really like, you know, you can go into TV shows, movies, like they have the bunch of those like different categories on the main page, but it's, it's really hard to like find stuff on Netflix. I feel like with all the money Netflix has, they should invest in some kind of UI developer. And I, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm wondering like how soon after this comes out and it's a hit that Netflix starts ripping it off basically netflix is like oh we're gonna do that too and then maybe they'll improve kind of like the apple way where apple sees what other people are doing yeah and they, they steal it and improve it i wonder if that's gonna happen um we, we should also talk about hulu because disney owns a portion of hulu and uh we've kind of been wondering what's gonna happen with hulu now that uh you know disney is starting their own streaming service uh, they acquired a bigger stake in Hulu with uh, the acquisition of 20th Century Fox. Uh, ben, what do we know? Yeah, so when the Fox acquisition officially goes through early next year, Disney is going to own 60% of Hulu. And that means that uh, the the future of Hulu as we know it has been sort of up in the air. A lot of people have been wondering if Disney is just going to you know shutter it altogether and maybe roll it into Disney Plus, that new streaming service, or what's going to happen. But uh, on that same investor call, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, actually talks a little bit about his plans for Hulu. And he said... Given the success of Hulu so far in terms of subscriber growth and the relative brand strength and other things too, like demographics, we think there's an opportunity to increase investment in Hulu, in Hulu notably on the programming side. So the big takeaway here is that Bob Iger is actually looking to potentially back Hulu and, and give them more resources, give them the, the full Disney resources of, uh, you know, to, to give them more original content. He's also looking to expand Hulu internationally. So that is, is something that Netflix especially has excelled at in recent years where Netflix has basically reached like market saturation in the United States and, and North America. So they've decided to start creating all of these, uh, original shows and movies that are aimed specifically at foreign audiences to try to increase their subscriber numbers around the globe. And we don't know yet if Hulu is going to do that exact same thing, if they're going to follow that same exact format. But uh, Iger basically just said, we're going to wait until the deal officially closes before we have meetings with the Hulu management team to make those decisions. But it sounds like right now that they are serious about keeping Hulu you know, uh, keeping them, first of all, up and running, which is good news for anybody who likes Hulu and uh, the way it is. And uh, and second of all, they might even just make Hulu a better a better uh, streaming service overall by giving them the, the resources to have more programming. Talking about bad interfaces, someone needs to <laughs> fix Hulu. Um, you know, I, I've been wondering since Disney announced the streaming service and this, you know, this deal with Fox going through, uh, you know, apparently going through, uh, you know, what would be left for Hulu with the Disney, Disney streaming service launching? But now that we know that the Disney streaming service is going to be split up into right now five categories, National Geographic, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar and Disney. 
that doesn't seem to include like ABC and the other like you know TV networks. I would I would right. assume that content's probably going to go on Hulu. Not that anybody said anything about that. Um, but uh, Chris, I'm, I'm wondering, you probably watch more Hulu content than both me and Ben combined. Like, are, are you, you nervous about what's going to happen to Hulu? I mean, uh, maybe. Uh, you know, I, I don't think. Whatever happens, I don't think like the Hulu content is just going to like go up and smoke the way Filmstruck is, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, I, I do like Hulu. I don't mind the interface so much. So I guess it's it's really a wait and see sort of thing. What What do you think about the original programming on Hulu thus far? Uh, I I haven't seen a lot of it, but the the stuff I've watched, I I liked. I mean, I really liked Castle Rock. I loved uh, the Looming Tower, which is another one of their shows. So it's they're slowly building their own uh, lineup. It, it's not quite as good as Netflix yet, and I don't think it's quite as buzzed about. Like, I really like the show they made called The First about going to Mars with Sean Penn, but I haven't seen anyone talk about that. So I really don't know if they're having as much of an impact as they should be. It's weird for me. The Hulu original programming feels more like network television than it does like, you know, cable or premium, like cable programming, like Netflix and, you know, AMC and HBO, that kind of stuff. Uh, Ben, do you have any experience with Hulu originals? Yeah. I mean, I watched the handmaid's tale. Uh, that's the big one that I've seen every episode of. And that one certainly doesn't seem like something that would be on network TV, but I I think generally, um, I don't know uh, for me, I haven't really watched much of their original stuff beyond that. I've seen, uh, some of the episodes of like the Mindy project, which Hulu saved after NBC canceled it. Um, but yeah, I haven't really gotten a chance. I've added a bunch of stuff to my queue there, but it's sort of like the the third or fourth thing that I check through when I'm looking to watch something, I'll, you know, I'll go to my DVR first and then I'll go to like Netflix and then check down to, uh, you know, HBO go or something like that and then go to Hulu. And and so, yeah, there's still a lot there that I haven't uh, sunk my teeth into yet. Is is Handmaid's Tale the, the lone prestige show original show at Hulu at this point? I can't think Uh... of anything else. I can't think it so. Yeah, I can't think. Of, I mean, Castle Rock had a lot of hype around it, but I don't think that's like prestige. Yeah, that's not going to be. I don't think we're going to see a lot of that with the ward season and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to Hulu and also where 20th Century Fox falls into this because we don't know. You know, we, we've heard that Iger wants to keep this uh, Disney streaming service, this Disney Plus. I don't know. I don't like this name. <laughs> I know, Ben, you like it, but like, what does that even mean? Disney Plus? It's like more than Disney? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What is- Google Plus to me. Isn't that like a thing? Like Google Plus? Or am I remembering something wrong? I don't know. That, that was a thing. Um, <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, I, I'm wondering if 20th Century Fox could you know, become the sixth brand in that uh, Disney streaming service or if the uh, the Fox content might somehow fall into Hulu in some way. Like, is that too – is it too adult? Is it above the family-friendly threshold that mm. Disney wants to keep on uh, the streaming service? Yeah, like would they include some of that stuff in the Disney category because that – you know, the, just the word Disney sort of implies family friendly. So, yeah, I can see what you're talking about there. That might be a problem for well, them. But well, the, I mean, well, Ben, it's Disney Plus, so it could be more <laughs> than just Disney. 
Right, yeah. Uh, Disney After Dark. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, I was just going to say the, the good thing about this, uh, you know, for people who may be a little bit nervous about what might happen to Hulu is that Bob Iger so far, I mean, uh, he has acquired so many different brands over the course of his tenure at Disney. And for the most part, he's done a really good job of putting people in charge of those brands and not necessarily micromanaging them to death. So I think the idea that he would want, you know, he's talked about how he wants to uh, approach Fox Searchlight when that Fox acquisition goes through, where he basically wants to leave that alone. So I, I think, you know, he's a smart enough guy to know when something is working. So it's just a matter of how long Hulu will continue to work in Disney's eyes um, and, and whether or not they eventually change their minds about that. We we should get to like the biggest geekiest piece of news that come out of this uh, this uh, investors conference, and that is that they have announced a second live action Star Wars show for this new streaming service, and this one will uh, feature a character from Rogue One. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, Diego Luna is going to be reprising his role as Cassian Andor in a new live-action Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. So this is being called a spy thriller, and uh, we don't know anything about who is going to be running the show, but we do know that it is going to be a rousing spy thriller that explores tales filled with espionage and daring missions to restore hope to a galaxy in the grip of a ruthless empire. It's basically going to follow... Cassian Andor during the formative years of the rebellion when he is a, a rebel spy and it's going to be set before the events of Rogue One. So, of course. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sort of for me, I'm sort of getting shades of solo a Star Wars story all over again here. Like I would bet money. I would bet almost every dollar that I have that Alan Tudyk is going to return at some point to play K2SO and we're going to see how those two characters first met because Disney seems obsessed with uncovering every single <laughs> piece of, you know, fan, uh, like fan service-y kind of storytelling yeah. like that. So uh, I I'm guessing that's going to happen at some point in the show. Um, but Peter, what do you think about this? You know, I wasn't a huge fan of Cassian or uh, Diego's performance in, in in that movie, I, although, and it seems like they're taking the approach that Disney Plus is taking with the Marvel shows, like they're really bringing, you know, bringing side characters from the big movies and giving them their own, uh, you know, I guess, uh, limited series. Um, but I'm not sure if this character warrants that, although... The thing that does excite me about this is that it could be a spy show set in the Star Wars universe. Like, I I know we've seen a lot within the Resistance and the Rebellion, and there are spies there, but we really haven't seen, like, a lot of espionage going on in uh, the Star Wars galaxy. And I feel like if that's what the show is, it could be really cool. And uh, to your point, I, I was also thinking that for sure – we're going to find out how Cassian meets uh, K2. And we're also going to um, uh, uh, Jason from Making Star Wars. I want to credit him because he tweeted that uh, Enfy's Nest uh, has some uh, share some DNA with Saw's group from Rogue One. There, mm -hmm. There's a character there, uh, two tubes and some stuff like that, that uh, are connected there. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if this show could, you know, feature those characters because most of those characters are not – 
even name actors you know they're you know people that in costumes that they could easily reprise uh maybe you know you might have to get uh uh saw to come back uh for Whitaker. uh but I, I that that could also happen here because you know saw's group uh probably mingles a lot with like uh, you know that kind of the spy spy missions and stuff like that mm-hmm. the under the uh cuff kind of of the star wars universe uh chris what do you think of this i i don't understand why every new star wars project has to be a prequel it's getting really weird at this point like why is everything new other than that main trilogy or whatever you want to call it now a prequel and it's very very weird to me i don't understand why they keep doing like even the mandalorian isn't that like technically a prequel too like yeah there, there has to be stories beyond what we already know i just don't get it i think they're afraid of you know stepping all over each other and they want this they don't want i don't know it, it, it's also this kind of um uh there's these different class of shows and movies and comics and stuff and i feel like the saga films have always been at the top of the ladder and the the other stuff kind of fills in the gaps in between and i feel like they don't want to you know step on the toes of of the you know the big guy in the top of the of, of of the uh the castle but um i don't know i i i wish they would just do more original shows in this universe with the original characters because i feel like and i've said this many times on this podcast but you know marvel fans go to marvel movies and shows for the superheroes they love the superheroes star wars fans go to star wars uh tv shows and movies for that universe and i feel like you know we don't need i don't i don't think anybody was itching for a cassian movie I mean, show aside from our our own Donna Dickens, who is working on a a, a pitch on how Cassian should be a, should be given his own TV series, which we published today. <laughs> it, it just it ended up being a thing that she was working on that ended up being true. So you can read that. I'll link it in the show notes. But uh, we, we've probably gone overboard with the, uh, this this whole Disney streaming service talk. Let's move on to the rest of the film universe. And let's start with Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which uh, is coming out and the first reviews have hit. Chris, what do we know? Uh, we now know this is the worst reviewed Harry Potter film yet, which I'm very surprised about. Not so much that I thought it was going to be good, but I just assumed it would get good reviews for some reason. I don't know why. I just assumed that would happen. And that's not the case. This film is uh, currently rotten at 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, I'm not going to like read all the reviews. You can see them at SlashFilm.com. But it boils down to this. Almost everyone has the same complaints. They all think the movie is overstuffed. They think there's too much fan service. They And almost every critic used the this series has run out of magic uh pun because that's you know, <laughs> so much so that i put it in the headline of the review because of the roundup just because that's what literally every critic has some variation on that line that the series is running out of magic and that's a bad sign because this is the second film in what's supposed to be a five film series and it seems like they're already running on fumes so hopefully they can course correct because they're not going to just stop making these movies so and you know it goes without saying 
this film and the future ones, they're, they're critic proof. No matter what these films get reviewed as there's a, there's such a big Harry Potter fandom that they're going to go see it. Like I have a friend who he, him and his wife are big Harry Potter fans and they don't even like these movies, but they're like, Oh, we gotta go see it. Cause it's Harry Potter. Like they just feel compelled to do it. So no matter what happens, this movie's going to be a hit, but according to critics, it's not good. I, I mean, you are right. It's critic proof, but eventually like the Transformers films, people are going to, you know, uh, catch on <laughs> to, to I, the- I feel like five films, maybe like they'll probably catch on by the fifth film. And by then the damage will be done. It, it seems so interesting to me because the first film kind of got criticized for not having enough of like kind of the connections to Harry Potter. And this one, it seems like, Oh, they're going back to Hogwarts and there's Dumbledore and stuff. And now that's the thing that's criticized about this movie. Um, so, and I, I had actually talked to two people who had seen this movie and said it was better than the first of the fantastic beast, uh, series. Not to, not that that is a glowing endorsement. So I'm, I'm interested in checking this out myself. Uh, Ben, you haven't even seen the first one. So you, you're just out right at this point. I think I'm pretty much out, yeah. (laughs) Okay, let's move on to Conan O'Brien, who wants to reinvent the late-night talk show uh, format for the YouTube generation. What do we know, Ben? Yeah, so in 2019, Conan is going to be making some major changes to his show. He announced this a little while ago that he's going to actually going from uh, an hour-long format down to a half-hour starting next year, and he's getting a radical reworking of uh, of the show. And in a new interview with Variety, um, actually he was speaking at an event yesterday, I think, where where Variety was there, and they they grabbed some quotes from him from the stage where he was talking about how uh, the modern late-night traditional broadcast TV uh, format is basically irrelevant and has been for a long time. Like it just, he said it quote, doesn't make sense anymore for younger audiences who watch clips of the show on their phones to tune in and watch, you know, guests blather on about the shows that they're and movies that they're there to produce or, uh, or promote rather. Um, and so instead of just, you know, shrugging his shoulders and, and following tradition for tradition's sake, Conan is deciding to actually switch things up. He, is getting rid of his band, which he's been with for 25 years on TV. So that's a, that's a sort of a big deal for him. Uh, he is focusing on crafting moments where viewers can see him have fun on screen. He's called his new, uh, format of the show more loose and playful than previous efforts and uh he is like going to be experimenting with doing stuff like uh like streaming video that allows um him and his writing team to sort of comments on stuff in real time and maybe allow viewers to tune in in real time as well um he said that that kind of stuff is what reaches the younger fans and that's always been conan's audience you know he, he's always had a, a, a really good relationship with younger viewers um at least in comparison to somebody you know like jay leno who who you know uh, has been speaking to like our parents generation for the entire time that he was on tv yeah um i mean i i think we've been going this way for a while now like most of you know the clips you see i mean most of what i see from like you know either jimmy fallon jimmy kimmel uh you know it's on youtube and it's it's a segment produced with a you know guest to for maximum viral potential right like it's it's not really about them talking about the movie 
Yeah, it sounds like the those kinds of things are small segments of what uh, Fallon and people like Kimmel do these days. But this Conan show is going to be designed where like the whole thing kind of has that vibe. At least that's my understanding. It's supposed to be more, um, you know, uh, yeah, just just aimed more at a, a digital friendly audience for the entire show instead of just. Um, you know, okay, here's the fun part where we create this thing that we hope goes viral, uh, and then the rest of it is, you know, here's the monologue, here's where the guest comes out and talks about this stuff, here's where we show a clip, you know, the traditional kind of model. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you, do you have a relationship with late night talk shows, and does this make you more or less interested in checking this out? Uh, I don't watch them now. I used to love Conan when I was, you know, in high school and college. And, uh, you know, as much as I loved his stuff, I, I have to admit, I always forget he still even has a show on. So <laughs> maybe this is a good idea for him. I do remember, you know, his his first show was so good at just weird, surreal skits. So he seems of anyone like the best person to pull this off. I mean, you know, no offense to jimmy fallon fans but jimmy fallon is not funny um but conan is, is legitimately funny he has really good comedic timing so i think he could actually make this work so it might actually help him out i don't know chris i wish i could fly you out to universal studios in orlando and have you ride the jimmy fallon ride which uh there's a ride. Yeah, there's a ride where it's it's raced through New York with Jimmy Fallon, where you you are in the audience for the Tonight Show, and uh, Jimmy Fallon comes out with a car and he like uh, challenges the audience to a race through New York, and somehow you know the audience turns into a car, you know our thing turns into a car, and we're racing through New York through with Jimmy Fallon, and it's literally every five seconds there's a bad joke, like <laughs> literally. Like coming at you in 3D space, <laughs> like it, it, it is horrible. I'd love to fly you out there and videotape your your reaction <laughs> to this ride. It's it's let's let's make this happen. We're gonna launch a Kickstarter <laughs> to send me to the Jimmy Fallon ride. That seems like an excellent use of everyone's time and money. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was a big fan of uh, Letterman and uh, Conan before you know the Tonight Show thing. I feel like he's. I don't know. Yeah, I've forgotten he's even on. But, uh, you know, if if this stuff, I don't feel like I'm going to watch this. I'm not going to probably DVR it. But if the clips are good enough, I guess the viral potential of them will will send them into my my feed and I'll watch them there. He's also launching a new podcast where he actually talks with guests for like a longer time than, you know, the five minutes that he was able to on his show. And I just like Conan as a personality. I feel like, like Chris said, he's legitimately funny and he has like interesting things to say. So that might be a good option for people too, if they're not interested in, in the, even a, a half hour version of the TV show, just add another podcast to your, uh, to your queue. We have three more stories guys. And we're, we're at the 30 minute mark. Uh, what do you vote? Do you vote that we, we, keep on going like, I, I think these stories are are big enough to talk about yeah should, let's do it should, should we go long okay we're gonna go long uh let's go next up to uh a, a satanic temple that is suing netflix over sabrina a 50 million dollar lawsuit chris what is going on here 
Not a satanic temple, Peter. The satanic temple is suing Sabrina. Um, Midway through the, the new Netflix version of Sabrina, there's a scene where you see a, a statue in the, the witch school that Sabrina is attending. And to the untrained eye, this may look like a statue of Satan, but it's actually Baphomet, which is this uh, goat-headed winged demon. Um, and, you know, as a as a person whatever you want to call it character baphomet is very old i mean you can trace his roots back to the 1300s but this particular statue um actually looks almost identical to a statue the satanic temple had commissioned because they wanted to uh put it next to the statue of the ten commandments in uh, i think it was tennessee so I, what, what clearly happened here is someone in the production company for Sabrina just Googled Baphomet and this image came up and they just assumed it was in the public domain because they, they apparently just thought this version of the statue was probably thousands of years old or hundreds of years old. And it turns out it's not. It's something the Satanic Temple specifically had commissioned. So as a result, the Satanic Temple is suing Netflix and Warner Brothers who own Sabrina for uh, copyright infringement. Uh, so we'll have to see where this goes. But, but, but not only that, they're saying they're claiming their their use of their copyrighted statue is making is uh, depicting them in a poor light. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, <laughs> they're depicting them as evil people. Yeah, they they think they, you know they, or it's also they think like Sabrina's watering down their their satanic message. So, you know, they're, they're hardworking uh, Satanists and they don't want Sabrina <laughs> ruining that. So, you know, on one level, I get why they're doing this. On another level, it's very, it's a very uncool thing for the satanic temple to do. You know, I thought you were, I thought you were cooler satanic temple, but I, I have a feeling this is really just for publicity and it's probably going to turn out okay in the end, but we'll see. I mean, one of the first things they teach you in film school is, Anything in the background, be it people, art, whatever, you need to get the rights. Like, like they're they're like, you can never pull off a movie where you shoot it in Disneyland, and then you know that movie came out and they actually pulled it off. But uh, you know, uh, so I I see the legal argument here that like you know if they're copying their copyrighted work, they you know should get paid for and i i think that's probably what's going to happen i i I bet you there's going to be a lawsuit out of court for uh you know high six figures or low seven figures ben what do you think about this um i'm kind of right there with chris i feel like this is not a very uh satanic temple (laughs) move is to like take it to court i just feel like they should you know i I don't know what the what what the um the more hardcore satanic move would actually be in this situation Uh, i'm sure it would would involve pentagrams and i don't know (laughs) spells of some sort uh cast against them but um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I just, I kind of want to see like the court transcript if this actually goes that far. Because I feel like it would, there would be some pretty entertaining stuff in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's move on to Avengers Four, which uh, apparently is halfway through editing and is currently at three hours long. Does, ben, does this mean that when this movie hits theaters, we're actually going to be in the theater for three hours? 
Uh, it's possible. We don't know. So Joe Russo, the co-director of uh, Avengers Infinity War and the upcoming Avengers 4, said that the movie is currently sitting right at three hours. We'll see if that holds, he said. He also said that they were about halfway through the editing process and they are just scratching the surface on all of the VFX shots that they're putting in the movie. He said that there's more than 3,000 of them. And that is um, even more than the 2,600 that appeared in Avengers Infinity War. So, um he said those shots require a lot of time and thought and energy and effort, and we're in the very early stage of getting uh, VFX done. We're just getting started with our work on Alan Silvestri on the score, and we're still editing the picture at this point. So, I mean, as he said right there, they're halfway through editing, and this is at three hours. It's important to note that this is not in an assembly cut, which is basically where all of the filmmakers, you know, every filmmaker does this. They drop basically every single usable piece of footage into an editing software timeline. And not and just, just every usable piece of footage. That includes, like, if someone improved, uh, you know, 10 different reactions, 10 different joke reactions to a line, all 10 would be in there. Yeah, and then you just start, like, you know, carving away at that to form the finished product. And so this is way past that point. This is not that. And, you know, a lot of, t- a lot of times you'll see stories like that from different sites that are like oh black panther might be four hours long or something and it's like no that's that's just an assembly cut that's not yeah. what's happening here um and, and in this particular situation he said we'll see if that holds so that's sort of like that's an implication that uh that this could actually be you know the f- close to the final runtime anyway and avengers infinity war was 149 minutes so if this ends up at three hours that'll be th- about 30 minutes more than infinity war and that sort of makes sense considering this is going to be you know the biggest uh, superhero movie ever made and the story is huge and it's coming off of this big cliffhanger from infinity war so i wouldn't be surprised at all if this movie ends up being marvel's first three-hour film I mean, I feel like fans are probably very excited about this because, you know, the longer seems more epic in scope. And, you know, there's so many characters they're juggling in in these two movies. And, you know, more time gives them more space to breathe in, in this in this story. But, uh, you know, I liked Avengers Infinity War a lot, but I did feel like it was a little bit it felt a little long. Uh, Chris, I'm curious your thoughts. Like, are you excited about a film that could be, what is it, almost 30 minutes longer? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't mind long movies. I'm of, the, I'm of the opinion that every movie is as long as it needs to be, which yeah. is a nice way of saying if the movie is good and it's working, I don't mind if it's it's that long. But if the movie is dull and it's dragging, I, I don't want it to be this long. So it's really going to depend on how good the script is and how you know good the movie itself is. I mean, I'd be fine if it were shorter just because uh, time is, you know, time is cheap. I got stuff to do. I can't sit in a theater all day, but we'll see. <laughs> and that's a good point, too, because, like, you know, theoretically, if the movie is shorter, Disney could make more money. Right, Peter? Like by putting more yeah. being able to screen the movie more times. But I think at this point, even if you're at two and a half hours, like it's not like you're going to get an extra screening in, you know, you'd have to get it down to like two hours, I think, at that point. I don't know. I would have to do the math, do the scheduling. But, you know, Disney is very considerate about this. Uh, I know uh, Ralph Brick, the Internet has not come out, and I'm not going to spoil that in any way, but there's a part of the marketing of Ralph Breaks the Internet that uh, 
a lot of people are talking about, a lot of people loved, and is not really in the movie. And I'll, I, I talked to the directors about this. We'll, I'll put it on the site later, uh, probably next week. Uh, but, you know, the, the reason why I didn't make it into the movie is, you know, it was part of a, you know, it made the movie too long. It was part of a, you know, thing that they could have accomplished in an easier way. Like, so I, I think all the time, even though, you know, this part of Ralph Breaks the Internet literally has toys and t-shirts and is part of the you know all the trailers they were like you know it's not working you know it, it's making this movie too long it, it feels too this whole sequence feels you know t- too long we, we need to cut it and they they were they they made that cut so i i chris i think uh they they are very cautious of this over at the mouse house i think um they they are really looking at that as like what it, what is needed to tell the story and, and to be entertaining. Uh, let's move on to our last and final story, and that is Orange is New Black is getting a sequel show. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so it's not finalized yet, but uh, the Hollywood Reporter was on the phone with the uh, chairman of Lionsgate TV, and Lionsgate uh, Television is the company that produces and, and creates uh, Orange is the New Black for Netflix, and they said that the uh, the chairman said that they are mulling a potential sequel to Orange is the New Black. Um, basically, he said, we're really proud of the long run that Orange is the New Black had. It remains one of Netflix's most watched shows. We're ending on a high note. Keep in mind that we own that series. We'll be distributing it for years to come. We're already in discussions, and when the timing is right, we'll talk further with Genji Cohen about a potential sequel. And Genji Cohen is the woman who created the uh, the current Orange is the New Black series, which is going to come to an end with its seventh and final season next year. I've, I've seen every episode of the show and this most recent season was a huge, huge disappointment. It was a massive drop in quality. They introduced a bunch of characters that I did not care about at all. And if this is going to be a sequel show, I'm really worried that they are going to sort of pass the torch to one of those characters and and sort of you know continue the action there because I feel like a sequel show doesn't really make a lot of sense for this particular property because you need to um, like, so the show's cast as it exists right now is so sprawling. There are so many people involved that if you were to just follow a couple of those characters, it would feel like just an eighth season of orange is the new black as it exists right now, instead of a sequel show. So I'm not sure what the approach is going to be here. They've talked in the past about maybe doing like a musical, like a Broadway production as a spinoff of the of Orange is the New Black, or maybe following different couples. Uh, Jason Biggs's character, for example, uh, or um, Piper's character's brother and his wife. But those characters are a they're not interesting, and b it, it would completely suck the spirit out of the show because what makes Orange is the New Black special is the way that it focuses on a diverse and really interesting group of female characters who had never really been given the spotlight in this way on television before. So there's a lot of questions here. Um, we don't know exactly what, what the full on plan is, but I don't know, Jenji Cohen. I mean, she's also, I, I'm pretty sure she's involved with glow on Netflix as well. And that show is pretty great. So maybe she has like a, a better call Saul breaking bad situation uh, up her sleeve where she'll be able to give us, you know, a, a separate show that people think is going to be a bad idea, but then ends up being awesome. I don't know. This is a series I never got into. Uh, Chris, or did you watch any of the orange is new black? No, I don't. I have this, um, 
I don't like stuff about prison because I'm terrified of going to prison. It's like my, <laughs> it's like that and flying are my two fears. Like I'm, I'm terrified one day I'll go to prison for something I didn't do. and I won't be able to get out. I won't do well in prison. So I don't like watching stuff about prison because it just makes me think about being in prison. So have please, you ever seen, have you ever seen The Fugitive, Chris? I have, but he's not really, he breaks out of prison and he's not really in prison. <laughs> And, you know, I, I like like the Shawshank Redemption because he escapes at the end. So <laughs> they have to get out of prison. I don't like stuff set in – like I couldn't really stand the show Oz because it was just prison and everything's a nightmare. Like I don't want to watch that. So that's me. <laughs> My wife likes it though. My wife loves Orange is the New Black, so she must love prison. So, so, so your worst nightmare is taking a plane ride to prison. Yes, but Con Air basically is my nightmare. They put me on the prison plane. <laughs> okay, we're going to end it there. Uh, Chris, where can we, if people find more of your work online? You can find me uh, at SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at Evangelista 413 He's flying through the skies on his way to prison <laughs> above no, your don't. heads. I hope I'm not there. That would be terrible. <laughs> Some some artist artist listener out there has to draw that. Uh, we we need a picture of Chris flying to to prison. Um, but uh, and also speaking of, we we need more uh, questions for the life advice uh, segment with Chris. So if you need some kind of life advice, and it doesn't have to do with movies, it could just it could be a situation between you and your girlfriend, or you know whatever whatever it may be, it, it, you know. Yeah. Send it into Peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing at slashfilm.com, and I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. Uh, you can find me at slashfilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, by the way, guys, we, we only get to six or seven stories a day from the site. And there are, you know, we do 25, 30 stories in a day. So it, it, there's a lot more that we don't cover, a lot more, like, big stories, too. It just, like, aren't stories that have a lot of discussion to them. So I, I would advise you, you know, head, o- head on over to SlashFilm.com every day for your movie news. Um, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your questions, comments, concerns, feedback to peter.com, and head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. That helps us quite a bit. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday. 43 minutes, guys. Nice. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. People have time to listen to that. Yeah. I feel like people want longer podcasts because they listen while they're doing stuff, like when they're at the gym and stuff. They need to they need to pass that time. Plus, there's that guy that fast, fast forwards 50 seconds through the stories you just want to hear. <laughs> yes. So um, he doesn't he, no, no, it's And um, I, you know, it's also interesting because I actually got this email the other day. From someone who, even though we give spoiler warnings and we're like, you know, spoilers for this movie coming up in five seconds, people say that they listen to this show in the background. So sometimes they miss stuff like that. So they don't want us to have any spoilers at all in the context of the show. What do you what do you guys think of that? I think they should be more attentive listeners. That's not, you know, we're doing this to be heard we're not background noise, sir or ma'am. You need to listen. You need to listen closely. 
Ben, are, yeah. are, are we careful enough? <laughs> I like to think that we are, because I, I feel like I'm a pretty spoiler-averse person in general. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess there are people out there who are way more uh, spoiler-averse than me. But I I think we strike a pretty good balance of generally not talking too much about spoilers on the podcast. And when we do, we at least mark it with a warning. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's that's on the listeners, not on us at that point. You put it like in the description, Peter. Do you say this episode has spoilers? Maybe just do no. that. And well, there you go. Yeah, just just start doing that when it happens, and we should be okay. <laughs> so, so, so it's not our problem; it's their problem. Yes, that's the <laughs> that's the way it goes. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 